Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard, podcast episode 46. I am the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And I am Nick Sarasso. And man, Nick, it is opening day, what should be, in my opinion, a national holiday. Uh, a full slate of games. Baseball is officially back, even though pitchers and catchers reported way long ago. We all know when it's opening day, you get that real feeling of baseball being back. Uh, I am so mad at myself because normally I take off from work on opening day because it is, even though it's not a national holiday, it is my holiday. And I was on edge all day at work trying to see scores, especially with the Mets and Yankees starting early in the day. A great pitching duel to begin. Uh, I'm sure I'll catch the reruns, but you know it's opening day. It's it's exciting times right now because all teams have hope. It's at Baltimore. All teams have hope. Even Miami? You're throwing Miami in the mix? I'll give Miami more of a shot than Baltimore. All right. Well, you heard it here. For, I think we might have to end the podcast on that note. <laughs> the fact that you gave Miami a better chance. Um, no, but I mean, like you said, every team starts out 0-0, right? Unless you're Oakland and Seattle, you play those two extra games. But everybody starts with a fresh link, uh, um, a fresh slate. Um, so every team has a chance, ideally. Um, and like you said, you know, I was at work constantly refreshing ESPN scoreboard, trying to see what's going on with the Mets. Um, so it's a good time. And, you know, the marathon begins. And it's so funny how all the emphasis goes into opening day when we still have 161 games left to play. I think it's going to be a great season. A lot of stuff has happened today. And we'll get onto that in a little bit, uh, a little bit later in the show. Also... Big news, Mike Trout extend, extending with the Los Angeles Angels, choosing to stay. Mets extend to Grom. We'll get into that in a little bit for all the extensions. But first, we're going to start with a little bit of NFL news. And really something that sort of came out of nowhere, but didn't really come out of nowhere. Rob Gronkowski officially retired from the National Football League. He announced that he is retiring. Um, you know, first things first, Nick. I mean, we, we heard about this the past couple of offseasons. Is Gronk going to come back? Is he not going to come back? Nick? Did this catch you off guard at all that Rob Gronkowski retired? Only that it happened so far after the Super Bowl. I think that's the only thing that caught me off guard. But when you think about it, Gronk is doing this at pretty much the exact time. That's perfect for the Patriots. The draft is still a while from now. The regular season is still far away. Preseason is a long time from now, so it gives the Patriots plenty of time. The only thing it really hurts them is, you know, they weren't going after anybody in the free agent market, but this is the Patriots. They never go after anybody on the free agent market. Normally, when you expect an offseason retirement, it happens very, you know, pretty much to the Super Bowl a week or two after, but credit to Drought. I think he made it more or less about him himself on that uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl on announcing your retirement then. But we had been talking about Grant possibly retiring for a while now. I think Tom Brady was a main reason why Grant 
didn't retire. He was able to stay really healthy this season, especially in the playoffs. And we saw how much of an impact he made in the playoffs. Uh, you know, we missed one of the most entertaining uh, professional athletes who just has fun wherever he goes. So that's going to be unfortunate. But uh, credits to him and his great career. Yeah, you know, like first things first, it's congrats to Rob Gronkowski. But also you touched upon something that I want to point out. You said, you know, fun wherever he goes. I don't associate a fun, lively, energetic player when it comes to the New England Patriots, right? We're always known for the Patriots being very strict. Bill Belichick has his rules. Uh, you know, you got to follow protocol. If you don't, you could find yourself on another team by the end of the week. Bill Belichick's not afraid to cut guys. But yet Rob Gronkowski was still this guy who's very lively, very passionate, and a very, very energetic guy, right? And, you know, but give him credit. He knew when to put that to the side and when to go to work, which is something I feel like a lot of flashy players have trouble doing, right? They bring too much of that flash, too much of that excess drama to the field. Gronkowski left it at the door and instead channeled it into game energy, which I feel like really a lot of the other players fed off of also. Um, So give him credit for that too. And like you said, I wasn't caught off guard by this. I think it was a good move by him to wait till well after the Super Bowl. But I also think it's because he was still trying to decide. For what, the past two off-seasons now, this has been a topic. Will Gronk retire? Will he come back? I think he was really mulling this over. And, you know, Gronkowski is one of those guys where there is life after football for him. For a lot of guys, football is it, right? You go in there, you do your, you know, five to ten years, you're out. You had a great football career. Gronkowski is a very good TV personality. We've seen him on you know, TV shows. We've seen him in skits. We've seen him in commercials. This is a guy that's going to have a well-developed career even after football. I could easily see him being one of the guys at the game day desk for whatever network. Or, you know, again, this guy has a lot of options for him when it comes to TV and commercials. And I think Gronkowski knows that. And he knows he doesn't have to stick around and take a beating on the football field you know, for him to get his money. Um, so like you said, congrats to Gronkowski for a fantastic career. And uh, But no, you know, it's not really surprising that he was going to retire because of so many, you know, back and forth we've had about, is he going, is he staying? So I think a lot of us saw this coming. It was just a matter of when is Gronkowski going to retire. Speaking of the Patriots, though, and Gronkowski's impact, you know, you have to beg, I mean, and this is, I know we always talk about, oh, the Patriots in trouble, every other issue that comes up. But do the Patriots have a problem now, considering that they're losing one of Brady's top targets? Nick, I want to read you something here. The most receiving touchdowns from Tom Brady in their career. Rob Gronkowski had 78 receiving touchdowns. You know what the second most on that list was? Randy Moss, 39. And then Wes Welker at 34. Julian Edelman at 30. Dion Branch at 24. I mean, that's a big drop-off to go from 78 to 39. I understand Moss and Welker are not currently on the team anymore. But if you go even further than that, Julian Edelman, who is still on the Patriots, had only 30. 78 to 30, that's a huge, big gap there. Are the Patriots going to suffer in trying to find a replacement for Brady's go-to guy? Immensely. Grant was the best tight end for most of his career. I think he finished it, you know, Travis Kelsey, I think, and Greg Kittle are... You know, one and two now, but certainly going into the season, Bronk was either first or second. None of the tight ends block as well as Rob Gronkowski. So even the touchdowns you're mentioning, the offense that he contributes, especially in the postseason that he had, but it's far more than that. 
not many tight ends nowadays are good blockers. Not many tight ends out of college know really how to block. And we just see guys really struggle at it. Travis Kelsey's the best tight end in the league. He cannot be a blocking tight end. He's just not good at it. So there's so much more of an impact Rob Gronkowski has for the New England Patriots than just the touchdown numbers. He's the go-to receiver. We can remember plays against the Kansas City Chiefs. He's making that third down catch for the first down. It helps New England get to the drive. There's constant moves. It's a big guy at the end of the day. It's a huge loss for Tom Brady. And, you know, it's it's not going to be something you can replace. You can certainly try and hope to replace it. But the impact that Rob Gronkowski has for your offense, you can't replace that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I mean, you know, Gronkowski for a lot of years also suffered from that discussion of, well, is he a good tight end or does Brady make him good? Gronkowski is a really, really good tight end. Like you said, I think him and Travis Kelsey, you know, they're 1A and 1B when it comes to, you know, receiving and stuff like that. But Gronkowski had special skills um, that he was really good at that it's, it's even better than Travis Kelsey. Um, you know, Gronkowski, he was good in all aspects of the game. And I'm one of those guys that says, you know what, it's Bill Belichick, it's Tom Brady, they'll find a plan, they'll get over it. But honestly... I think this is a huge blow for the Patriots. I mean, you still have Julian Edelman, sure. And I'm pretty sure Tom Brady will find some random guy to throw the football to as well, too. But I do think the Patriots might want to target a receiver in the draft this year. It doesn't need to be a first-round pick or anything. But I think you do need to find a replacement. That way, Brady at least has a little bit more options, right? Because, you know, I mean, Tom Brady is special in himself, but every QB likes to have that go-to guy and have to, like likes to be comfortable when they're out there on the field when Gronkowski, who's a mammoth of a human being, is not out there to go grab the ball for you. That That is a huge hole to fill and big shoes to fill as well, too. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots do struggle a little bit without Gronkowski, uh, but I am also wouldn't be surprised if Belichick had a plan. Uh, you know, I don't think that this news came out of nowhere. I feel like probably Belichick and Brady were probably the first to know and they probably knew even before Gronkowski even said it. So I do think they have some kind of plan going forward. It wouldn't surprise me if they had a plan going forward. Um, but I do think it is going to impact the Patriots just a little bit. So moving on now is another question that's kind of weird to ask when a guy just says that he's retiring. Do you believe that Gronkowski is 100% retired? And the only reason I ask that question, Nick, is because Gronkowski's agent made a comment saying, let's just say hypothetically, Tom Brady gave him a call and said, Rob, I need you. I wouldn't be shocked if he came back to play a few games. So, Nick, I'm posing to you the hypothetical. If Brady calls Gronk and says, Gronk, we need you. It's a tough AFC this year. Do you think Gronk is 100% retired? Or can he be convinced to come back out? You know, I don't think he can be convinced to come back out for this year. So, I look at it, Grant is 29 years old. Still a young guy. Still in a very early retirement. And there is the possibility he pulls a Jason Witten. He's retired for one season and then comes back the following year. I think that's more plausible than... The idea that, okay, it's week 14, we're getting close to the playoffs, and Gronk is 
you know, with New England at the training camp, working out, getting ready for the postseason. I don't see that as being likely. The idea that he's going to be able to get into like serious football shape just in a few weeks for the playoffs, I'm not going to buy that as much as, okay, he takes a full year off, and all of a sudden now it's February, and he's like, okay, I'm going to come back for football. All right, I can believe that. You got five, six months to get back into shape fully. That's a lot more likely to happen. Because we saw that with Le'Veon Bell last season. He missed. Obviously, he's a little bit out of shape. He had no shot of returning if he did re-sign with the Steelers last season. Uh, Jason Witten's the same way. Uh, Brett Favre was for about a decade and a half. Uh, But for Grant, there's so many different options. Uh, At 29, he's a household name. You could see him in the movie uh, business. I the comparisons are to like the rock. I don't think he's going to be in that way, but there's more than one person that continues that way. Like a John Cena, uh, we see often, uh, in that role. So I think that's something we could see Grant more towards than anything, but I don't believe he's coming back at all this season. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I could see it, but I don't think he will. Um, you know, he's definitely young enough to, if he wants to. But I think you pointed out, you know, like I said before, he has a lot of options outside of the NFL. You know, we, we're seeing guys retiring at younger ages now in the National Football League because, especially because all the stuff that goes on now with CTE and concussions and the fact that there is just a life outside of football for most of these guys. And Rob Gronkowski is one of those guys. And I, I feel like, I don't even feel like Brady would pick up the phone to call Gronkowski. I feel like Brady is a guy who would kind of respect the retirement thing, you know, because Brady's probably a firm reliever. Hey, if you wanted to play, you'd be here, right? Because Tom Brady's still playing. Uh, But, yeah, I don't see it. I feel like Gronkowski has too much of a market outside of the NFL. I feel like he can make a lot of money doing TV things. You know, like you said, I don't think he'll be the next rocker John Cena, but I think Gronkowski would definitely have plenty of offers and de- definitely be able to do different kinds of activities outside of the National Football League. I think he's setting himself up for a pretty good life, and I don't think he needs to come back to play because he also doesn't need to come back and prove anything. I mean, I feel like he's gotten all that he's needed out of you know the National Football League. So you know, if you're Gronkowski, enjoy retirement. You know, I guess he knows that the door is always open, um, but for Gronkowski, you have a good career under your belt. Um, you have a good future ahead of you in terms of where you can make your money. You know, don't go out there and blow it by um, risking yourself out there back on the football field. One more thing about Gronkowski before we get into another debate about him is hypothetically, if you remember, I don't remember which WrestleMania it was. And yes, shout out to WrestleMania. It's live in the Meadowlands, if they still call it that. On um, oh, sorry, MetLife on April seventh. Gronkowski did appear in a WrestleMania one year, which Gronkowski, like we said, has the charisma, has the energy, has the acting skills. Is it more likely, Nick, that Rob Gronkowski goes to WWE, or is it more likely that you can nail a 360 windmill dunk? Do I get a trampoline? 
Yes, I uh, talking to the judges. We could give you a trampoline because I'm gonna need a trampoline or a ladder, better than ankles, <laughs> and the ability to jump. Uh, you know, so much says pit the WWE one, but if those are my two choices, I better get a headband and start dunking. I'm gonna say it's less likely it happens. Uh, as much as it would make sense for the WWE. And Rob Gronkowski. I know he was just recently at a um, event uh, with the WWE, and Braun Strowman was there. Um, Mojo, who was the guy that was in the match with Jinder Mahal, uh, which Rob Gronkowski came in uh, for, you know, and Mojo is close with Gronk. I'm going to say it's unlikely, just on the fact that I don't know if. A script can be successfully written with Rob Gronkowski in it, and I don't think that's a pure fit. Um, if anything, I think the only way it would work with Grant uh, in the WWE is if you see more. Yeah, he's there once in a while, uh, but he's going more of the movie roles that WWE has. And I don't think that's going to be his outlook. I, I think Rob Gronkowski is going to stay more. Um, I, I'm going to go Hollywood style. I, I'm going to say he winds up more in movies than he does in WWE ranks. Yeah, Nick. I mean, you better get that trampoline because I yeah. really would love to see you try that windmill dunk. 360. We can't forget about the 360 part. Um, yeah, like you said, I just don't think WWE is a fit for him. Um, can he do guest spots? Sure. Well, I would, would I be surprised if he showed up at WrestleMania on April 7th? No, I wouldn't because that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that Gronkowski would be good at to me in the WWE is these kind of guest spots or like teaming up being in Mojo Rowley's corner or being in Braun Strowman's corner or whatever, you know, stuff like that is what I can see Gronkowski doing. Um, and it's like you said, it's no knock to Gronkowski. It's not like he doesn't physically fit in because he's a big, strong dude. But at the same time, I don't know if his acting skills can be successfully transferred over to the kind of acting that the WWE does. So I think Gronkowski should really just play it safe and stick to movies, stick to commercials. That's where the real money is at for him. It would be nice to see him do a couple of guest spots, but like I said, don't force the issue. And now our last topic about Gronkowski before moving on to some other things in the NFL is, you know, whenever someone retires, we always talk about it, the Hall of Fame. And with Gronkowski retiring as a tight end, uh, if my math is correct, I believe there are eight tight ends in the NFL Hall of Fame. So, Nick, does Gronkowski join those eight when his time is el- when his time of eligibility comes up? Yeah, uh, certainly. So, this is an easy one. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a first-round ballot Hall of Famer. The fact of the matter is, I don't really know what the definition of a first-round ballot Hall of Famer is in the NFL because it's just such a strange voting way that it's done. Uh, But he's one of the greatest tight ends of all time. He was the best tight end from pretty much the moment he started his career to where he is now. And it's easy. His, His numbers are some of the best all time as tight ends go. Yeah, easily he's a first-round ballot Hall of Famer, and he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think, you know, you hit it right on the nail there. 
to me, Mike uh, Mike Ditka, Ozzy News, um, Newsom, and Shannon Sharp are probably some of the best tight ends in the NFL. No love you for Tony argue. Gonzalez. I mean, yeah, Tony Gonzalez is great, but I picked out these three for a reason. <laughs> and no Jason uh, Witten in there. Come on. Hey, Jason Witten is still playing. I can't compare him if he's not done yet. Um, but for Gronkowski, though, let's compare him to Shannon Sharp real quick. Um, Shannon Sharp, four-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler. Gronkowski, five-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, has over 7,000 yards, which is more than Mike Ditka and Newsom. It's, well, it's not more than Ozzie Newsom, but it's over 7,000. And he had 79 touchdowns in his career, and that's more touchdowns and fewer games than the three guys I just mentioned. I think Gronkowski checks off all the boxes. He was a great player. He has the yards number. He has the touchdowns. He has the receptions. He has all the stats. And also, it's good publicity for the NFL if a guy like Gronkowski goes in the first chance he gets. Because he's still a relatively young guy. A lot of the new school generation kids who watch football now know who he is. Along with guys like our age and people who are older than us. We know who Gronkowski is. His name is going to draw. So if a guy like Gronkowski enters the Hall of Fame as soon as he can, that's going to be huge for the NFL. And also, he just deserves it. His stats speak for itself. Moving on now to the rest of the NFL news, we got Demarcus Lawrence from the Dallas Cowboys. If you remember, the Cowboys franchise tagged him for $20.5 million this year. The Cowboys were interested in a long-term deal. Well, the Cowboys offered him a contract that would have made him the highest-paid defensive end in the NFL, which had a $20 million annual. He would have gotten paid $20 million annually. He turned it down even though DeMarcus Lawrence said that's what he initially wanted. Now, Lawrence is saying he wants an annual salary of 22.5. Now, the Cowboys are confident that they can come to an agreement with Lawrence, but Nick, is this in danger of becoming Khalil Mack 2.0 where you have a talented pass rusher, the team gives you one amount, the player wants more, player might hold out if he doesn't get more, and yet they're fighting over $2.5 million. No, this is not going to turn into Khalil Matt. This isn't going to turn into Le'Veon Bell. This is the Cowboys' best defensive player. This is the Cowboys who are a very good defensive team. And on top of that, this is the Dallas Cowboys. This is one of the best-run organizations, as much as we love to give Jerry Jones heat, in all of the NFL. This is the number one franchise in all of sports. It's the most iconic team in all of sports. This will get done easily. And whether it's going to be 20 million, 21 million, 22 million, they're going to worry make a way for it to work. And if that means having to lose an extra guy because of that, so be it. He's one of those guys that the Cowboys must resign. If they're already going to franchise tag him, if they're already looking at the $20 million, you make the move to get him, not necessarily what he wants, but get the deal done, is the better way to put it. I've got no issues if he wants money, if he wants to try and get his value, and i got no problems at all expecting the Dallas Cowboys to get them, get the contract done with. 
because that's the plan by the Cowboys. They've got a game plan as much as it doesn't seem like it at times, and it works. Even if Jason Garrett is on the team, it works. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the Dallas Cowboys, they have money. They're not afraid to throw it around. Um, I will say I'm a little bit concerned, only because things these things get kind of iffy. Um, you know, player wants more, team gives them what they want. Now player wants more money. It, th- these things can kind of get dicey. And But like, like we said before, the Cowboys are confident they can come to an agreement. They think they can get it done. And I think, like you said, as much as we like to crap on Jerry Jones, I think he knows that what he has here, which is his best defensive player, which arguably Lawrence is becoming one of the better defensive players in football. You don't let a guy like that go. Just like the Raiders shouldn't have let Khalil Mack go. Don't do what the Raiders did. Don't get into a situation where you have no other choice but to trade because he doesn't want to come back at all, right? I mean, if you're the Cowboys, pay the guy the extra 2.5, and uh, especially since he's only asking for 2.5 more than what you originally offered. And, you know, on top of that, Jerry Jones is just going to get it done. I, I find it very hard to believe that Jerry Jones is all of a sudden going to become stingy when he knows he has one of the best defensive players. But, Nick, does, you know... Does that kind of rub you the wrong way if Demarcus Lawrence, you know, initially he asked for $20 million, Cowboys offered it, but now his team is saying 22.5? No. I think every player is entitled to their own thing. Um, I think players understand that it's a business at the end of the day. And on top of that, we're in the offseason. We're, we're nowhere near training camp. We're nowhere near preseason. We're nowhere near the regular season. And there are plenty of players that consistently hold out during training camp and during preseason till they get to the regular season. And if you're Le'Veon Bell, till you get to the next year. So, no. This little hiccup that's going on with the Cowboys and Lawrence, none of the players have an issue with it because of the fact that they know Lawrence will be back with the Cowboys. Yeah, I think this is a small enough difference. Um, you know, obviously they offer twenty million, he wants twenty two point five. You know, it could be worse, right? They could have offered him fifteen and he wants twenty two point five. Then I'd be like, ah, oh, well, you know, we got a long way to go and I'm definitely worried this isn't gonna get done in time. But when we're talking about, you know, two point five mil, when I first heard about this, I'm like, Well that's dumb. You asked for twenty and now you want two point five million dollars more than why'd you ask for twenty in the first place? But the fact that it's only a two point five million dollar difference to me feels more comfortable for the Cowboys to get this done. Like you said, you know, I think we're entering that dangerous territory, or it may not be dangerous territory, when players are threatening to do a holdout if they don't get the money that they want. But again, in this scenario, there is no bad blood between Lawrence and the Cowboys, right? They franchise-tagged him because they said, we're interested in signing him long-term. This wasn't a, we're going to franchise-tag you because, you know, we just want to gra- you know hold you for one more year and not commit to you. They made it known from the beginning when they franchise tagged him that they want to keep him around long term. So I feel like that sent a message to him saying, "Okay, you know, we can get this deal done. So, like you said, I'm confident the Cowboys are going to get it done. And last but not least about the NFL. Of course, we got to talk about the New York Giants. Apparently, there's reports that they've had internal discussions about checking in on Cardinals quarterback Josh Rosen. 
for those of you who don't know or have been living under a rock, Josh Rosen chosen in the first round last year by the Cardinals as their QB, but all of a sudden Cardinals now seem to be rumored in taking Kyler Murray with the first overall pick. So the Giants reportedly thinking about calling the Cardinals about Rosen. However, the Giants were also present, Pat Shermer, I should say, was present at Dwayne Haskins Pro Day for Ohio State. And apparently the Giants had a private workout for Duke quarterback Daniel Jones. A lot of different names, Nick. We're hearing rumors that the Giants may not pick a QB when they pick sixth in the upcoming draft. One, what is going on? And it's still way too early to tell, but is there a clear answer to who Eli's successor is? No, there's no clear answer. Um, I think we'll have more of a clear answer come the draft if they so choose to trade for Josh Rosen or if they go to Wayne Haskins or if they don't go with the quarterback at all. But there is no game plan. The Giants are the second or the most dysfunctional team in the NFL. There's no plan. They have no idea what they're doing. And this goes back to the Odell Beckham trade. You can tell me, oh, we got a first-rounder, a third-rounder, and we got a first-rounder two years ago in Peppers uh, for a safety. Wonderful. And in it, you're missing a one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. You have no replacement for Eli Manning. This all started two years ago when Ben McAdoo sits Eli Manning, and then the Giants are, like, whatever erupted, then now the Giants owe Eli Manning something afterwards. I think we covered the podcast right after that, benching. One of my first things I said, perfect. Unfortunately, this happened. It's not right that it happened, but the Giants should not start Eli Manning ever again. That's what should have happened two years ago. Then all of a sudden you have a game plan. But instead, the game plan is there were five quarterbacks that are starting for teams. One is questionable in Josh Rosen, but easily could be a starter as well. And I still think should be their choice over Kyle Murray by the Cardinals. The Giants opted for a running back. A position that just does not matter. And you can tell me all you want about Barkley. And I can tell you all you want about Todd Gurley, the best running back in the NFL who did not play in the postseason. Doesn't matter. And tell you about Le'Veon Bell, the second best running back in the NFL that did not play all of last year. Was replaceable. They all are. But a quarterback? Finding Sam Darnold? Finding a Baker Mayfield? Finding any one of the star quarterbacks that are guarantee hits? That's not as easy at the end of the day. It's a reason why even though first-round quarterbacks go so often when they're not worth that value because if you can hit on it, it sets your franchise up for the next 10 to 15 years. If people believe Dwayne Haskins is the future for the Giants and they're going to go with the sits pit for that, so be it. That's the replacement. But the Giants are a complete mess. And we just get to sit back and watch it and hope for the best. Wow, that's very optimistic, Nick. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm always one for giving nice things about the New York Giants. Yeah, I mean, you, you have a way with words, my friend. But in, in all seriousness, though, I mean, do you think that if they draft Dwayne Haskins, they can't win? Is it, do, you, like, do you feel that Dwayne Haskins is not going to be a success in the NFL? Can I start with that? I do not think he will be. I, does, is Dwayne Haskins a first-rounder a year ago? Let's put it this way. Take both Kyle Murray and Dwayne Haskins. Jose, I'll reverse the question to you in this scenario. Where do you rank the two of them if they were in last year's draft? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. They're probably after Lamar Jackson. But just because they weren't first-rounders in last year's draft, you can't ignore that they're first-rounders in this year's draft. No, but the point, even if they're not first-rounders in last year's draft, and yes, you can say Russell uh, Wilson, Kirk Cousins, and... A few, uh, Dak many Prescott, other. Dak Prescott, Tom Brady—they're they're not first rounders, at the end of the day, and that's wonderful. But that doesn't mean you're going to find your quarterback outside of the first round. And that doesn't mean that just because they're a first rounder, they're always a hit. There's so many ifs with this entire thing that you're hoping for the best. I, I, Kyle Murray more. 90-plus percent of his passes are within the pocket. Haskins, I think, is the same thing, but just within seven yards distance. And the scouts are saying it's not about him having, like, ten big plays. It's about him having, like, those three, two, or one big plays he can give you in an NFL game. Yeah, that's true, but that's the same thing as Saquon Barkley. He gives you three, two, or one big play a damn, and that's about it. It doesn't change anything. Throwing for under seven yards in the NFL defense, you're not going to have success. Throwing 90% in the pocket, just in the pocket, and we all, you know, we love Kyle Murray's lights. But if all these passes are happening just in the pocket, you're not going to have just pure success. You're not going to have open pockets. You're not going to be it's not going to be that simple at the end of the day. There, there's so many question marks with the, both of these quarterbacks and I don't think either one will have true success in the NFL. I would not waste a first rounder on either one of them. I don't think you get enough value for it. And both of them, if the Giants were to get either one, are clipboarders this year. Because Eli Manning's there. And it doesn't really matter who's quarterback this season for the Giants. The team's not winning more than six games. Sure. And it's not even about this year. I agree with that. I really don't think. You can't expect them to draft a QB. They're not going to kick open the door and, and, and bring us an NFC East title, right? It's not about this year, which makes it fine, in my opinion, if they do draft a QB. Let them hold the clipboard. Let them learn from Eli Manning about how to prep for a game. Because as much as everybody likes to trash on Eli Manning now because it's the cool thing to do, Eli Manning was still a good quarterback for the Giants in their glory years, and he's a big reason why they won some of the Super Bowls that they've won. Let's put that out there first. Second, this Duke QB, Daniel Jones, I don't want to hear any of that. Because to me, Daniel Jones is a second-round pick. You know, he's he's definitely not a first-round pick. He's not one of those guys you take in the first round. So this, to me, you know, the Giants drafted this guy already. They drafted, you know, Kyle Lualetta, Ryan Lualetta, whatever his name is. They drafted him. 
in the fourth round out of whatever school he came out of last year, right? I don't need another mid-round QB on the roster. So if the Giants are going to go QB at six, and honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, I wouldn't. If I'm the Giants, I'd focus heavily, very heavily on defense in this year's draft and grab all the best defensive players that I could, even if it's the first five picks that I have and I'm spending them all on defense, I would do that because the Giants need to rebuild their you know, I can't stress it enough how much they need to rebuild some of their defense. They don't have a lot of money to do so because they're out there paying Golden Tate an insane amount of money. Build the defense. But I will say, I do think Dwayne Haskins will have success in the NFL. I don't know about Kyler Murray. I'm not a fan of his. But Dwayne Haskins, to me, in a weird way, kind of reminds me of Eli Manning. The guy is not going to throw in a run. He's not the prettiest mobile on it. He's not the prettiest on his feet. He's not very mobile, but Dwayne Haskins can hang in there in the pocket and give you some solid yardage. He's not a downfield QB. He's not going to throw 80-yard passes, but he's going to hit those short completions just like Eli Manning would. So I feel like if the Giants did bring in Haskins, there would be some success because I feel like him and Eli are such similar players that he could really benefit from learning from a guy like Eli Manning. But going back to the question, I don't think he's the answer for the Giants. And I really don't believe that they should draft Haskins this year just because they didn't pick a QB last year. So I kind of agree with you there where you don't compensate for picking a QB just because you didn't pick one last year. You wait for a draft class where there's somebody worth picking. The Giants were interested in Justin Herbert from Oregon. He decided to go back to play his senior year. Why not wait for him when he declares next year? Or, depending on what happens with Russell Wilson, Seattle... And that whole fiasco about whether he stays or goes, hasn't signed the contract extension yet, maybe you wait for that. Or if the if the Raiders are dumb enough to pick Kyler Murray, all of a sudden Derek Carr looks like he's available. Maybe the Giants trade for Derek Carr. There's a lot of different options the Giants can go for a quarterback that doesn't have to do with the draft. But everybody's going to be screaming for a young QB, draft a QB, draft a QB, because that's what they should have done last year. And if I'm the Giants and I had to pick one of these guys, I would heavily explore the fact that Josh Rosen might be available. Because why not? What do you have to lose? I really don't believe, Nick, that Josh Rosen is a bad quarterback. Do you? No, I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think he's a straight starter. I think the Cardinals were being offered a second-round pick, um, not by the Giants, but overall uh, by a team for Rosen. Uh, The Cardinals are trying to get a first-rounder for Rosen. I don't really agree with what the Cardinals are trying to do, but in their scenario, it makes more sense of trading Rosen and then going Kyle Murray uh, than the Giants trading Odell Beckham. But with all this in mind, going back to your Giant part, the, the main thing that the Giants really had to do was just scout quarterbacks and say, is the quarterbacks in this draft class better than the quarterbacks of next year's draft class? Because in a year from now, we'll be in the same spot? Or do we try and rebuild faster with the quarterback that we can get? I just feel like there are a lot of better options via free agency, potentially, if it's Russell Wilson coming up in the trade market, if it's Derek Carr becoming available because the Raiders are going to take Murray. But it's like you said, I don't feel like, it's like I said before, I don't feel like the, the Giants should take a QB just because they didn't take one last year, right? You don't, you know, you, you don't, you know, you just don't do that. So if the option is there to trade for Rosen, 
I think that would be the best option. I think a second-round pick should be enough to get it done. Um, I think if the Cardinals don't want the second-round pick, I think then I think they're you know overvaluing their hand there, especially if they pick up Murray because then they have a drama dilemma. But if I'm the Giants, explore the Rosen option. If not, there might be some talented names available in free agency. Moving on to some UFC news here. Yeah, we barely dip into the UFC world in Sarasso and the Beard, but Conor McGregor announced that he's retiring via Twitter again. If you can recall, McGregor announced that he is retiring from MMA earlier this week. Um, first of all, ignoring that this is the second time that he's done that, Nick, did this catch you by surprise that MMA's biggest face in Conor McGregor is all of a sudden calling it quits? Uh... More like it took long enough to get this done. I mean, really, we expected this so much longer ago. I thought it was going to happen after uh, the Floyd Mayweather fight. I didn't think McGregor was ever going to step into an octagon again and step into another MMA fight because he didn't need to. He got his payday. He doesn't need to put himself, his body, and issues in the future on the line when you make far more in a boxing match than you'll ever make in an MMA fight. Uh, so this took long enough. And then on top of it, you look at all the problems that are occurring around Mayweather, around McGregor when it comes to anything near MMA. We, we saw the issues with the bus when he was throwing, what, the pole? Or the, the, guard, the guardrail um, at the bus and... There, there's constant more. Now he was, what, arrested or something along that line? Uh, there, there seems to be no positive stories coming out for McGregor. Um, and I think for him it was easier to just retire than trying to get back into an MMA fight and US, uh, UFC is just like, no, we don't want you after all this stuff. And I think that was even worse on a PR standpoint. Uh, so, yeah, this should be the end of it for him. Uh, he's always a big name, but I think more for him, he gets to just enjoy life at this point. It's very interesting because Dana White, who's very close friends with McGregor, said that you know through text message with some of the MMA insiders on ESPN that, yeah, you know, I'm, he said that if he was McGregor, he would retire too. Right, because like you said, he made so much money from that Floyd Mayweather fight, even though he lost. Right, even though he lost, he got paid more than any amount he ever made for a UFC win, which is mind-boggling when you think about it. Right, if you're a winner, you should be getting high payouts, but that's just not the case when it comes to boxing. Boxing has a higher payout than UFC and mixed martial arts usually does. So he gets paid from that fight. He also started his own whiskey business that's doing apparently really, really well, and a lot like Gronkowski. Mayweather has a lot of outside projects where he can do TV, he can do commercials, he could probably do movies if he wanted to. So when, you, when you're a star and you're the face of a company and you have a lot of other options to make money, all of a sudden be, being punched in the face repeatedly sounds like the less appealing option. I mean, would I rather be punched in the face or make movies and make commercials and stuff like that? Honestly, I would probably take that too if I could make as much money the same amount almost if I'm getting punched in the face, if not more. But, however, you know, the question is, are you 100% convinced that McGregor's retired? I don't believe it fully. I mean, he pulled a similar stunt to this a couple of years ago when he was saying he wanted shares and equity in the UFC. And the UFC was like, no, 
and McGregor retired. And then they worked it out, and he came back, and he fought Nate Diaz and won. But same thing was happening now, basically. You know, Cowboy Cerrone was supposed to fight McGregor, but McGregor didn't want to be a co-main event. He wanted to be the main event. He wanted all eyes on him. And the UFC said, no, this fight has to be a co-main. And then McGregor said, if you want me to be in a co-main event, I'm going to need some shares in the company. You didn't really hear anything about that afterwards. And now all of a sudden McGregor retired again. And I find it very hard to believe that the last fight that McGregor had in the UFC was against Khabib. It was the highly anticipated matchup between those two. And he tapped out in the fourth round. And then the, the giant scuffle, the giant brawl broke out. The giant melee between Khabib's team and Connor's team. And all of a sudden McGregor's just going to pack his bags and leave. So the last time we see McGregor was going to be him tapping out. I don't really believe that. I mean, we're talking about the guy with one of the biggest egos on the planet is going to be happy with his last fight being a loss. I just I just can't believe that. I think he's up to something. I think he's trying to stay relevant. And I think it won't be too long until you see McGregor back in the UFC octagon again. Because, again, I just find it hard, hard to believe that the guy who walks and talks like Vince McMahon, who wants all eyes on him, thinks that this is going to be the last time and that he's going to walk out of the UFC with a loss. I find that very hard to believe. But last thing about McGregor before we move on to some baseball talk, Nick, if he is retired, for real, does he follow a similar path of Ronda Rousey and take his talents to the WWE? No, not at all. I don't think the WWE would be a good fit for him. Uh, The fact is it's the WWE would be a great fit years ago. And when it was more TV 14. Uh, this is TV 7. Uh, as much as I like Medrider, and as much as he can be a lot of fun on a microphone, he's a lot of fun on the microphone for people a little bit older than a WWE that wants to take, uh, more uh, promote to younger audiences and kids. Yeah, I'm going to go the same answer as the Gronkowski one. I think you can definitely see him do a guest spot. Do I think maybe he comes out on April 7th to help out Becky Lynch, who's also from Ireland, for storyline purposes? Sure. But at the same time, I don't expect this guy to have an illustrious career with WWE. I don't – I don't. I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not a wrestler, so I don't know what the payouts look like. But I don't think he can make that, you know, as much money doing WWE as he would be doing you know, off his whiskey business and all – all the other stuff and side projects he has going on. Um, also certainly doesn't help, like you said, that he's in a lot of legal trouble right now. Um, so who knows? That could have been another reason why he also called it quits because it's not a good time to be in the spotlight right now for Conor McGregor. Moving on now to some baseball news. Yes, it is opening day, but leading up to opening day, we had a lot of contract extensions, Nick. None bigger then the huge news of Mike Trout getting a 12-year extension for a total of $430 million. Yes, you heard that right. 12 years, $430 million extension. It's a huge deal all around. Trout is basically a Los Angeles angel of Anaheim, of whatever other city they're going to move to for life. Trout becomes the highest paid player in baseball. Nick, is this the right person to be the highest paid? Or... Will someone surpass him in a couple of years? No one should surpass him. This is the perfect player to be the highest paid, most deserving player, best player in baseball, best player in any professional sport. Uh, This is the easiest question I think we'll ever have on the podcast. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of athletes getting paid this amount of money to play a game. I think it's a little crazy. You know me. I like to side with doctors and teachers. But if we're going to pay, if somebody should be, should be paid the most in baseball, it should be Mike Trout. Best player, finished in the top of the MVP, in the top, at least in the top five for every year he's been in the league. He's fantastic. He's phenomenal. I do not think someone will surpass him. I think the only other person that may come close to it is Mookie Betts. But I also think Mookie Betts is also loyal enough where he wants to be in Boston that Boston doesn't need to break the bank to keep him. You're not going to see a bidding war for Mookie Betts because I think Mookie Betts wants to cement his legacy in Boston, and I think he'll stay. But I think the only other person that may come close to that 430 number might be Mookie Betts. I think Mookie Betts could get more than Harper, where do you see Mookie Betts on that timeline between of a Harper and a Trout, or does he get nowhere near any of those two? You know, I think Mookie, not 100% sure of his age. I'd have to look that up to see where the comparison is for him. But I think you could see him in that 300 range. I don't think 400's as much of a possibility. Uh, certainly Boston is going to have to put a large dent into resigning him, but you know, I could see 12 for 360. I think that's more of a feasible number for the Red Sox when we looked at it. Uh, but to get into that 400 million range, it's not Mooty. Mike Trout has been the best player in baseball since the day he started. There's not been like, what, a single season where he hasn't finished top two in the MVP voting. And for Muti, yes, he had a phenomenal year, but Mike Trout could have easily been the MVP last season. So what's career years for Muti Betts is just another simple year for Mike Trout. Yeah, no argument there. Again, I don't think he'll surpass Trout. I think there is a chance he surpasses Harper. And again, I think because there's no bidding war for Mookie, I think he definitely... um, you know, he stays in Boston. He stays put. Going back to Trout, though, and the Angels, how big is this for the Los Angeles Angels, Nick? I mean, we were hearing rumors that the Phillies were trying to, were going to make a push for Mike Trout when he became a free agent. Harper was going to recruit him. Nobody said that the Yankees were in on Trout, but we all damn well know the Yankees would have submitted something to Trout had he become a free agent. Mike Trout would be one of those guys where even the Marlins or the Orioles would probably submit a bid because everybody wants Mike Trout. So how big is this for the Angels? That Mike Trout is staying for 12 more years. You have the best player in baseball. And that's the the way to look at it. You've had the best player in baseball for the longest time now. And you continuously have the best player in baseball. I think, you know, obviously it's a very large contract. And you question the money that they have at times. Well, Trout was already getting a large sum of money on his previous contract. Albert Poole's contract is nearing the end. Uh, and for the Angels, I think they had to even convince Mike Trout of, you know, this is not just a money thing. This isn't just the face of the franchise. This isn't just the greatest player of all time to ever have an Angels uniform. We have more of a plan for the future. So I think that's the big key because, you know, this is an Angels team that for the last couple of years have had the rank of 30th when it comes to the prospects. So that's a real big issue 
and that's the reason why they're not able to get to the playoffs all the time. Uh, it's a team sport. Baseball, you need a lot of guys. So this move, it can't just be all about, okay, we have Mike Trout, and that's enough. The Angels have got to be showing more to Mike Trout, and especially to that organization of, okay, we put all of our money into our superstar. We've locked that up, but we still have to put a team out there every single night. Yeah, the uh, the Angels have had Mike Trout for, what, six, seven years now? They've had him for a while. They've really done nothing. And let's be honest, they've done nothing. Yes, they signed Pujols. That ended up being a not-so-great contract. They signed Hamilton. That was terrible. They haven't done anything. C.J. Wilson. C.J. Wilson. They have not done a single thing to help Trout in Los Angeles. Show it. But, oh, show, yeah, well, I'm get, oh, well, I was going to get there. But now, but like, think about all those signings, right? Bringing in Justin Upton doesn't really do much. But yet, Trout still wants to stay. Well, I say, yeah, hurry up before he wakes up or before he sobers up, sign the contract, right? Because <laughs> there's no why, – why would he want to stay? I was convinced that this guy would want out because the Angels aren't doing anything, yet he wants to stay. He's loyal enough to stay in L.A. He said it in his press conference. He loves it here. He wants to be an Angel for life. If you're the Angels, this is the best news you've heard all day, right? He doesn't want to go home to play in Philly because I could have easily seen Trout saying, you know what? I want to go back to where I grew up and play for the Philadelphia Phillies. I want to go and play for my favorite team that I grew up rooting for my whole life in the New York Yankees. And instead, Trout chooses you. And I feel like this is huge for the Angels because, again, you know that he's going to be there. There's no more rumors about, oh, is he going to Philly? Is he going to the Yankees? Is he going to leave L.A.? You know he's here for the next 12 years. Like you said, now you have to do something. So it's Shohei healthy. It's keep building around Mike Trout and all these other players. Do not mess this up because if you if you mess up having one of the best generational talents who's going to go down as one of the best players of all time, then you don't deserve him. The guy chose you over a lot of other appealing options. Because right now, if I if I if you like Trout and I say, hey, I have a contract offer from the Yankees, from the Phillies, basically all 29 other teams. Yeah, I mean, you'd cross out the Orioles and the Marlins. What's the more attractive option? I bet you the Angels wouldn't be in a top five. There are a lot of other attractive teams to go to right now that are built better to win a World Series than the Los Angeles Angels. So if you're the Angels, Mike Trout gave you a gift by staying. You better build a team around them to keep on going. And last but not least, from a Trout point of view, Nick, did Trout make the right choice? Uh, he found a team willing to pay him over $400 million. Yeah. But I firmly believe all 29 other teams would have done that too. I mean, certain teams, uh, in a way, I mean, certain teams like the Rays would have probably had to just give him the franchise. Probably. Or the uh, state of Florida. <laughs> you get the rights to the team, the stadium, and you own half of Florida. That 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 would have been how to be the Rays' uh, contract pitch, and they still owe two hundred million. But <laughs> uh, no, he, uh, it's hard to see a lot of other teams going in that direction. Yes, it's my trout, and you can easily make the case that no matter what, the contract's worth it. And I mean, I was quick to make the case that when you sent me the text about it. My first response to you was, wow, 
he took a pay cut because I thought that was low at the end of the day for my trout. And I still think that's low. Um, that being said, it's going to be the biggest contract of all time. Uh, there's not many players that are going to surpass it. Uh, there shouldn't be a player that surpasses it. And rather than the free agent headache that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado underwent, I think Mike Trout just wanted it simpler. That's been Mike Trout his entire career. You know, he's he's very uh, fine with media, uh, fine with interviews, but the fact is he, he's not someone that goes confrontational. And I think a free agent market where Mike Trout obviously would get paid a large, large, large sum of money, um, but having to go back and forth, having to be a little bit more confrontational, I don't think that suits him. And I think he wanted it just to be done. So from a Mike Trout standpoint, yeah. He found a team that will pay him over $400 million. He'll have a team for the next 12 years. He'll spend his entire career with one team. Not many players do that anymore. So I think for him, he's very happy with that. Yeah, I mean, would I have chosen the Angels? No. But when you heard his press conference, he seems really happy. He's happy to be in L.A. for the long haul. He said it that he likes it there a lot. So in all seriousness, I think he made the right choice only because he really wants to be there. Um, so, you know, credit. He deserves the money. He deserves to be the top paid player. He's the best player in the league. And if he's happy where he is, then he really did make the right choice. I don't know if he'll win a World Series, but uh, he made the right choice in terms of his happiness because that's what really matters um, when you're a player, right? Uh, also some extensions, Jacob DeGrom gets an extension from the New York Mets, five years, $137.5 million, a little bit about the deal. The deal includes an opt out after the third year, which would be 2022. It includes a full no trade clause and a club option for 2024, which could be worth $32.5 million in that year alone. Um, the Mets, they, you know, it came down to the wire. Jacob DeGrom and his agency gave him a deadline saying, hey, we want this done by opening day if you guys want to do it. Um, a little bit surprised that the Mets made the move, some fans are. How big is this for the Mets, uh, Nick? And were you surprised on how long it took? Were you more surprised about how long it took, or were you more surprised about the Mets actually got it done within the window that DeGrom gave them? You know, I'm very happy that this contract was able to get done. Uh, it needed to be done. There's just nothing about going into this season uh, with the Mets not having a new contract for DeGrom made sense. The former agent of him is the new GM of the team. He's the If he's not the best pitcher, he's at the lowest, the top three. And he faced off against what is either the best pitcher or the second best pitcher in Scherzer. So this this was something that, you know, Met fans were admin about, uh, that the team had to make this move to just assign him. And even though he had two years left in arbitration, it's over with. Now, now he's on the team for good. I think it puts in more still confidence uh, for the entire roster. And it's almost like, you know, 
who are you going to pay if you're not going to pay pretty much the best player on the team by far? Yeah, I mean, great news for Mets fans. This is what we wanted, right? We wanted DeGrom long-term. Great news for DeGrom. He really deserves it. I mean, his outing today really, Max, you know, proved why he deserved the money, too, on top of that. Um, 30 straight starts now. That's an MLB record of three earned runs or less. He gave up none today. Um, best pitcher in baseball right now. But I am a little bit surprised on, on both of the questions I asked you. I'm surprised how long it took because for the Mets, this should have been a no-doubter, right? No-brainer. Extend the Grom. I understand there was some hesitation because of his age and because technically they had him under club control for two more years and then he'll be 31. But pay the guy. Pay the guy what he deserves and, and, and keep building the team around him going forward. I mean, this was a no-brainer. But I also am surprised that, you know, the that they actually got it done. Because going into earlier this week, it sounded like the Mets weren't going to get it done. It sounded like the sides were too far apart. But in some weird way, within a day, you know, the GM, you know, thanked David Wright for it. Whatever David Wright did, you know, thanked David Wright. Um, he said a taco run was essential from 7-Eleven. I didn't know 7-Eleven sell tacos. I'm not sure I would eat tacos from 7-Eleven. Getting off topic. But, you know, I'm just really surprised at how it all went down. I'm glad they got it done, but I'm also surprised that the, I'm surprised that it took so long. I'm also very surprised that the Mets were able to get it done when it sounded like they weren't going to be able to do it um, all spring long, honestly. Also, speaking about the Mets, do the Wilpons deserve to have some heat taken off of them? We often call them the coupons, as our good friend Chris Aletti likes to say, cut the coupons. Um, the Wilpons get called cheap. Uh, they're always being told to sell the team. But correct me if I'm wrong, Nick. When Jose Reyes left the Mets, Met fans cried and said, you can't let David Wright walk away. You let Reyes walk away, don't let it happen with David Wright. And they didn't. They extended David Wright. They gave him the eight-year deal. David Wright certainly took a lot less money. That contract didn't work out for certain reasons because of David Wright's health issues. Point is, though, is that the Wilpons did it. When Cespedes came over in 2015, had that fantastic run for them, right? Met fans chanted and cried and demanded, including me. I know you weren't a fan of it, but including me. We wanted Cespedes back in New York. The Wilpons did it. They signed him for four years. Hasn't really gone the way it should have, right? Because he's on the DL. is going to miss a lot of time this year after missing almost all of last year. But the Wilpons signed Cespedes. The Grom. Fans want it. Wilpons are like, we don't know because he's going to be 30-something. But in the end, the Wilpons gave the Grom the money. So the Wilpons get called cheap. They get called the coupons. They get called to sell the team. But Nick, in years past, when it's come time to extend players or re-sign players, the Wilpons have done it. So do the Wilpons deserve some credit? No. It's the <laughs> Wilpons. Strom. <laughs> <laughs> you would spent me as a Met fan. Not not a hardcore Met fan, and not as much of a Met fan as you. But nonetheless, a, a Met fan that I've been rooting for the Mets my entire life, to speak good about the Wilpons? How dare you? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, look, if you want to take the second one, it was real important for the... Uh, the Mets to sign David Wright because he was the captain of the team. And that's what he was. He was their best player, 
the all-time Met player. His number will be retired by the Mets eventually. Um, and for a good part of 15 years, he has been the face of the New York Mets. Uh, he's missed some time, but nevertheless, it was always David Wright. The Yohan assessment is one I did not support ever. I liked the trade, never liked the resigning. We spent a good part of every single day after the Staten Island Yankee games and before the Staten Island Yankee games of announcing, debating on Cespedes resigning or not. No, they were never supposed to resign you on a Cespedes. It was a terrible move, and the Mets are still paying for it. Literally. Um, but the Dedram one had to get done. This is a player that comes up from the organization, just like David Wright. This is a player that when David Wright at the time was the best third baseman in baseball for a large majority of time. Well, this is the best or second best starting pitcher in all of baseball. And he has been for years. He went, again, toe-to-toe with Matt Scherzer. And the same matchup we've seen multiple, multiple, multiple times. And what does DeGrom do pretty much every time he goes out there? He gives you seven innings, no runs, he strikes out a ten, and gets through each jam. He gets an occasional jam and he gets himself out of it. He's the ace of this team, he's the best player on this team, and the Mets had to re-sign him and not let him go to free agency because if he went to free agency, he wasn't coming back a Met. And after the offseason you have, after the money you add to the team, you after the GM slash agent you add to the team, you have to re-sign Jacob DeGrom. And especially, and I think this is the key to it all at the end of the day, Birdman signs an extension for $100 million. Paul Goldsmith. Skips his free agency, signs an extension, five years, I think, $137 million. Chris Sale skips his free agency, signs an extension. I'm pretty sure the numbers are what, five years, $146 million, or six years, $146 million? Justin Verlander skips his free agency, two years. I think it was $66 million. Again, I'm maybe off a million or two on a lot of these numbers. The Mets just watched what is arguably the second or third best pitcher in baseball in Chris Sale. One of the best pitchers for the last decade in consistency in Justin Verlander. And overall, one of the top ten pitchers in baseball in Justin Verlander. Sign extensions and skip free agency. They watch what is the best first baseman in baseball. Skip free agency. Sign an extension. What could be the future best third baseman in baseball in Berkman? The same thing. You cannot, after watching all these other teams, not one team, but all these other teams do this, it doesn't make sense other than to resign them.
So everything that came around was the perfect point for DeGrom to re-sign with the Mets. I mean, I feel like you hit it right on every point there, Nick. You know, I'm going to say, though, that as as much as I like ragging on Will Ponds as well, too, though, I do feel like they deserve some heat taken off their Boo. shoulders. No, no, I mean, but think about it, though. I mean, they've signed the players that they needed to sign, right? They needed to sign David Wright. They needed to. They did it. DeGrom, they needed to. Why? Because especially with David Wright retiring, we needed that next face of the franchise solidified for us. And I think that's Jacob DeGrom. I know Syndergaard is very charismatic and... You know, they have a lot of players who are out there more actively on social media. But I think you can agree that Jacob DeGrom is clearly the face of the Mets right now. Agreed? Oh, easily. So they brought the face of the franchise back. He's extended. He's here for the next five years. Fantastic. But at the same time, you know, fans are complaining that, oh, you guys don't operate like a New York team. Well, what does that even mean? Why? Because they don't go spend $300 million on Bryce Harper because they didn't sign Dallas Keigel. Like, fans should cut them some slack because they sign the players they need to. They may not sign the players that we want all the time, but they sign the players they need to when they need to. And that, to me, is very important. When they give a guy like Jacob DeGrom an extension, that, to me, is showing, thank you for all that you've done for us. We're going to support you like you supported us. Thank you for not beating the crap out of the other 24 teammates because they don't they refuse to score more than one run for you. Because honestly, I would have went ape shit on the teammates long ago by the 25th straight start when I'm giving up less than three runs, but yet you score 10 runs for Jason Vargas, but you can't score more than one run for me. I mean, the Wilpons, again, getting off topic, the, the Wilpons deserve more credit because, again, they're signing the guys they need to. And I'm kind of sick and tired of no, the narrative of... Who, who, who else were they supposed to sign, Nick? Jet Lowry. <laughs> they did sign Jet Lowry. What, what was needed for that? I, I, I know. I'm not, again, I'm just no. Not. Jed Lowry's a good player. I, I do think I think they overpaid for Jed Lowry. Sure, but who who else was out there that they should have signed that they didn't? Was it Bryce Harper? Because the Mets don't need Bryce Harper. Was it Dallas Keigel? The Mets don't need him either. So who exactly out there were they supposed to sign? to stop them from being cheap that they really needed. Nobody. Like, who else was out there? A lot of fans are saying, this is New York. Act like it. And I'm really tired of that narrative. That doesn't mean anything. Just because you're in New York doesn't mean you need to go out there and drop $300 million on a player or on a team in general. The team who spends the most doesn't always win. And I understand that Boston won the World Series last year and they had a $200 million payroll. But the year prior... The Astros won the World Series. And I know the Astros have a very high payroll right now, but how did the Astros get there? They built their team by drafting, building a foundation, and then you spend money. That's what the Mets need to do. They need to build their foundation first. So that's extending a guy like the Grom, extending guys like Conforto, Nimmo, Syndergaard if they have to, and then spend later on. Now, like you know, the Oakland A's made the playoffs last year. And they had one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. So I don't want to hear this, you have to spend money to win, because that's not always true. It's really not. And again, I can understand if there was players out there that the Mets really could have benefited from, and the Mets just refused to sign them, yes, then that's being cheap. But what did the Mets do? The Mets needed a closer. They went out there and they got one via trade. They saved money by picking up the best closer in baseball. Bryce Harper was out there. 
Mets didn't need Bryce Harper. Sorry, Mets fans who wanted Harper, stop crying. He went to the Phillies. Mets didn't need him. The Phillies are going to regret that contract in about five years. I can guarantee it. The Mets didn't bring in Dallas Keigel. Why? Because honestly, if the Astros didn't want to give him over $100 million, I don't know if I want to give it to him either. I mean, if the Astros are now out there dying to sign Keigel, why should I? And when it's all said and done, there was no other players out there. Mets didn't need Machado either. There's no other players out there that was worth signing besides extending to Grom. And the Wilpons and the general manager, BVW, did that. So I feel like the Wilpons do deserve... They don't deserve a lot of credit, but they deserve some of that heat of they're cheap taken away. Because honestly, you can't you can't go with that narrative anymore. Watch me. <laughs> no, you can, and I'm sure people still. And I'll join in on jokes too. Again, I'm not, I don't love the Wilpons. I would love to see them gone too. But at the end of the day, they're making the right moves when they need to make them. We'll wait till the next year, and then the off season comes, and the Mets don't make a signing or two. And then we'll say it again. And then we'll see how I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you're still on the, the drum high. Yeah, maybe that's it. But before we move on to the rest of the MLB, who would you extend next if you're the general manager of the Mets, Nick? So if I'm extending anyone next, uh, Michael Conforto. I'm expecting this to be a breakout year for him. I'm predicting around 30, 35 home runs. I think he's, you know, the heart of this lineup. And it should be an easy move to try and make an extension for him. Uh, Looks healthy, and he looks like he'll be a great star player for the entire year for the Mets. Um, Other than that, the other option would be, you know, if you choose to sign Pete Alonso and skip the entire idea of arbitration and sign him for you know a long-term deal that skips through the arbitration probably like the first year or two of free agency but the Mets will never do that because they'd have to pay somebody early so I'm glad you read my article on why the Mets should sign Michael Conforto uh, <laughs> via the rising Apple blog um, since you stole my pick I'm going to say Noah Syndergaard um I think Conforto is a good option because there's mutual interest and Conforto said that he would be willing to sign an extension, which is interesting because he's a Scott Boris guy, right? Scott Boris guys don't like to sign extensions. Um, so we'll see if the Mets can get that done. But I really like Noah Syndergaard as an option too. And, and he worries me a little bit because unfortunately, sometimes he's a little bit of a big mouth. And he recently said in spring that, I don't know, I think I take my chances in free agency. If the Mets can find a to bring back Syndergaard. You're talking about securing your 1 and 1A of your rotation for years to come. And I think that's a good game plan going forward, especially when pitching is so rare these days. To lock up your top two pitchers would be fantastic. You can also argue Zach Wheeler, because he is a free agent at the end of the year. Um, Unfortunately, I can see there's plenty of teams out there that might overpay Zach Wheeler um, to come to their team. So if I'm the Mets, control what you can control right now. And that's possibly bringing back Syndergaard. Moving on now to the rest of the MLB. Again, there was an extension craze. A lot of teams giving out extensions, Nick. Um, you know, Verlander, two years. I think it was $66 million. Like you said, we might be a million off. Bregman, Alex Bregman, six years, $100 mil. Um, a bunch of extensions handed out. Nick, 
was this because you think players are afraid of free agency? Example, Machado Harper hit free agency at age 26, and yet they found trouble getting a lot of suitors? Or do you think teams are just doing the right thing and saying, hey, we're going to buy out your arbitration years. Here's the money that you deserve right now. Do you think it's players being cautious, or do you think teams are just paying their guys at the right time? You know, it's a little bit of both uh, when it comes to the arbitration years. So I think Eloy Jimenez uh, was offered a contract where he'd skip all of his arbitration years instead of getting the low minimums. When you first enter the MLB, you're getting uh, a much higher salary, and it even included your free agency. And at the end of it all, it's like you between arbitration, what it could be at a maximum, and free agency, uh, you're saving money possibly in the long run. But we we didn't really see too much of that other than Alex Berkman of uh, the Astros. The other guys are Verlander, Sale, and Goldsent. They they all skipped their free agency, and you know it it made sense for Verlander when you consider the age that he is. He's not going to get a five uh, or a ten year deal anytime soon. Uh, or ever again. So it made sense for Verlander to take the short-term deal uh, where you're getting a bit more money uh, for the Astros especially the same way. And, you know, I think for each team, it kind of made sense for every one of them because this is their one bid signing that they have to do. Uh, For the Red Sox, it's Chris Sale. Eventually, they'll have to deal with J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts as well, like we mentioned Mookie. Uh, But there were mainly three players. And so you you definitely don't want players going to their free agent year. And if you can try and offer a little bit more money in order to get the signing. Uh, The one thing I think that's changing is the years to it. So, you know, if, if this was seven years ago, uh, guys are going to get longer, uh, lengthier contracts, but that's being a little bit more taken out of, and we're seeing just what it is. The best players in baseball getting the big deals. Now, Machado and Harper sign long-term deals. Trout signs long-term deals. Berkman, Sale, Goldsmith, DeGrom signing long-term deals. Now, this isn't the 10-year deals for everybody, but it's a lot of money attached to a five-year contract. And it's more on the average per millions than it is on the length of the contract per as well. Uh, So, yeah, it's it's the best players in baseball getting paid at the end of the day. Yeah, I kind of like it. I mean, I feel like it's guys getting what they deserve at an early age. I mean, I can't stress enough. I read a good article one time. I forget who it was written by. But, you know, they were talking about, like, the weird way that free agency works. The fact that we pay guys for what they've done, not what they're going to do, right? Because so often when guys hit free agency, this is back in the old days, when they're 31, 32, we give them that eight-year deal because of everything they've done for the first eight years of their career, but then they don't do that within the contract. Why? Because they're declining. So I'm all for paying guys more during their arbitration years, buying out their arbitration years, and paying them for what they're going to do. I'm down to pay Aloy Jimenez six years, $50 million, because it's more than he would have gotten on his rookie contract. What was it, $600,000, right? Jacob DeGrom, 
was supposed to make less than a million this year, and now he's making seventeen million this year. I am all for that. Let's pay the guys for what they're doing right now, not what they've done, and then give them a boatload of money to watch them decline. Let's make it fair. So I think there's different scenarios, like you said, for Verlander, it makes more sense to take a short term right now. But at the same time, for guys like Breckman and for guys like Jimenez, why not get paid right now if you can't? So I kind of like that, and I kind of like that I see that they're going in the right direction of buying out some guys' arbitration years and paying them now. You're still going to see some teams that are going to try and work the system and be like, well, you know, you're still under club control for X amount of dollars, but hopefully, hopefully that will change in the near future. Moving on now to the extensions, though. Besides Mike Trout, obviously Mike Trout would be an easy choice, and also besides Jacob deGrom, really, Nick. Which was the most important extension that was given out? Most important extension that was given out? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with Justin Verlander. At the end of the day, the Houston Astros are one of the best teams in baseball, and they are competing for a championship over the course of these next few years. There is uh, the question of when they're going to be able to not afford everybody on this team and they have to pick and choose who they needs to stay and who's going to have to go. Um, most likely one of those going will be Carlos Torreya, but smart on the Astros to keep Verlander. This is your ace of your team. This is the guy you need, not for the regular season, but for the postseason. You know, we, we saw plenty of Astros produce in the postseason, plenty of Astros produce in the regular season, but you need that guy in the postseason that's going to get you length in a ball game, that's going to win you ball games, that's going to win you playoff games, and that's Justin Verlander every single time. So that, to me, is the big signing because... I would not say who's a team that's competing for a World Series right now and over the next course of those next couple of years of that contract. And for me, the, the simple choice will be the Astros, who are two years removed from winning the World Series, a year ago of winning over 100 games, and you expect nothing but great production from the Astros going into this season and over the next couple. Well, I'm also going to roll with an Astros player, but it's not just in Verlander. It's Alex Bregman. Um, to me, that's really important. A lot of the similar reasons that you said. I mean, we're getting to the point in the Astros dynasty. I, I feel like you can call it that because this is a good young team that's going to be around for a little bit more. But we're getting to the point where they have to start deciding who they're going to pay. They gave Altuve the extension not so long ago. They paid Verlander for at least two more years. Um, pretty soon, they're probably going to want to pay Garrett Cole. Um and unfortunately, there's probably going to be an odd man out. And like you said, it might be Correa because he just might be too expensive and other teams just might want him too. But for Bregman, the fact that you get him for six years, only 100 mil for a guy who should be an MVP candidate for years to come, that to me is a steal for at this point of his career. And the reason why I say it's really important is because I feel like it sets up a foundation and it sets up... Um, a possibility of Bregman signing a long-term deal in the future with the Astros. Why? Because I don't know if you remember this, Nick, but a couple of years ago, Mike Trout signed an extension before this 12-year one. He signed a six-year deal or similar to that with the Angels for almost a similar amount, $100 million, which buys out his arbitration years. Um, and I feel like that's a good first step in trying to retain a player for life. Why? Because 
you give them the financial security over their rookie contract saying, hey, you know, we want to pay you for what you've done. You're having great seasons. You're a great talent. Here you go. And I feel like it sets up that good rapport with a player to say, hey, we're going to take care of you from here on out. And I really do think that a big reason why Mike Trout agreed to this extension with the Angels is because the Angels took care of him earlier in his career. The Astros do this for Bregman. I think this definitely opens the door later on for Bregman to extend with the Astros later on in his career for a longer period of time. So I feel like by taking the Mike Trout approach, the Astros might reward themselves by getting Bregman um, for as an Astro for life possibility at the end of his career. Uh, and one last question about the extensions besides Mike Trout and besides DeGrom, which extension surprised you the most? Uh, so the extension that probably surprised me the most is going to be Paul Goldsmith. Uh, you know, when you get traded to a new team on a one-year contract, it's really rare before you even suit up uh, for a single regular season game uh, that we see a, a contract come on for Paul Goldsmith. So I think that was really surprising to see. Uh, you know, easily the best first baseman in baseball. Uh, a lot of times you figure that a guy, even though he's entering his, I think, age 31 uh, season, you know, yeah, they're more towards their decline, but certainly Goldie would have gotten uh, a deal similar to what he got with the Cardinals or maybe a little bit more. Uh, maybe sits in 150 or sits to 180 uh, as a possibility as well. Uh, Goldie certainly has produced the numbers for plenty of years. Uh, so that was pretty much the most surprising one for me. Uh, for a guy that never played a game for a team that he got traded to. And next thing you know, he's got a long-term contract. For me, I'm going to go with the guy that you felt was most important. is just a Verlander. Um, I was very interested to see how he was going to do. Um, in free agency this year. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's, what, 34 years old, 35 years old, who really saved his career by doing whatever mechanic change he did, right? He was in Detroit, uh, not looking like the Verlander of old. He gets traded to Houston, changes something in his mechanics, and all of a sudden this guy's got a second whim, right? He's on the second leg of his career, pitching like he's 22 years old. I really wanted to see if there was going to be teams out there that wanted him for a longer period of time um, so very, very, very surprised that the Astros were able to lock him up for two years. Maybe Verlander is thinking about retiring, um, so that's why he wanted a shorter-term deal. But I'm even more surprised that they offered him 33 per, which means $66 million. I mean, he deserves it. I'm just really surprised at that age that he was able to get it. But I'm glad for him that he was able to get it because, again, it would have been very interesting to see um, what offers would have been out there for him uh, come free agency. And last but not least, speaking of rookies, we mentioned Eloy Jimenez before. A lot of rookies ended up actually on their major league roster. Eloy Jimenez, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Pete Alonso from the Mets. All of them make their respective teams opening day rosters for the White Sox, the Padres, and the Mets. With all the talk about service time these days and about keeping kids in the minor leagues to get an extra year of control, Nick, were you shocked at all that any of these guys made their roster? And if so, which one surprised you the most? Yeah, I'm a little surprised um, all of them made the roster, but uh, certainly when you think of it, Pete Alonso makes the most sense because the Mets are doing uh, the most to possibly compete for a division in playoffs. Not to take anything away from the Padres, who add Machado, but 
you question their pitching staff who just don't have many pitchers to begin with. Um, but on top of that, like the White Sox, especially, they, they didn't get the free agents they wanted. Uh, so Eloy Jimenez, by me, for me, by far, uh, that one was surprising. I would have figured he was going to serve the service time and then get called up because why not take the extra year? But I think with his contract being signed, it almost guaranteed him not needing the service time. Yeah, you know, I wasn't surprised about Pete Alonso that much, only because I feel like at the beginning of spring training, you know, Van Wagenen said the Mets are going to take the top, you know, their best 25 guys. I honestly believe Alonso is one of their best 25 guys. I mean, who can you really make an argument for other than Peter Alonso? Um, even if Lowry and Frazier are healthy, I think Alonso still makes the roster. I mean, there's no denying this kid that he was ready. Um, and yeah, it was only going to be for a week if they did send him down to get an extra year. So it could have been very possible that the Mets did that. But I feel like with their philosophy that they were going to take the best 25 guys, that told me that Alonso had a really, really good shot of making the roster. The one that surprised me the most was actually Aloy Jimenez because, you know, we heard it. We heard about the White Sox saying, oh, well, we might actually send him down to AAA. Um, you know, we just, you know, we want to send him down to make sure. And especially because the White Sox are the ones that had a perfect excuse to because we don't have the White Sox making the playoffs this year. There's really no reason to call him up because if he's there or if he's not, the White Sox are still not going to make the playoffs. Yet they decided to put him on the roster anyways. And again, I feel like it's a good move by the White Sox. I feel like if the kid is ready, let him play. Um, and sending him down only makes him more frustrated with you as an organization. So it's a good move by the White Sox to do so. But really surprised that after all they talked about about sending him down, that they were able to put him on the roster. Great move. And I hope that he continues to be there and that they don't send him down. And I hope he just wasn't there to cover up an injury. Um, so I'm really glad that the White Sox put him on the roster. And with that, before we wrap up, I just want to talk about opening day for a little bit. Like we said, should be a national holiday, Nick. A lot of stuff happened today. Was there anything that caught your attention um, coming out of opening day today? I mean, there's plenty that caught my attention. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to try and take the one that's not as much on the radar as uh, the others. And that I'm looking at the Brewers. So obviously, Brewers, uh, they played very well. They get the win 5-4 over the Cardinals. Uh, Tristan Yelich having a three-run home run. Uh, Julius Chain, the pitcher, having a solo home run for the Brewers. Uh, all the runs in this game scored by home runs. But what, what I was looking at is the bullpen. And Josh Hader throwing two innings, the final two innings of the bowl game, getting four strikeouts. So it was interesting to see what their game plan is right now with Knievel and Jim Jeffries injured uh, and how they're going to use Hayter, how they're going to close out games, and if they're going to go the route, which could be their route right now, of having Hayter throw multiple innings to get the save. Hey, I'm very fine with that. I have Hayter on both of my fantasy baseball league teams, so keep throwing him out there if you got it because he did just fine today for me um the thing that i'm gonna take away from this is the phillies route of the braves the phillies beat the braves 10 to 4 um hoskins hit a grand slam michael franco hit a great home run uh, mccutcheon hit a home run the phillies did all this with their high-powered offense without a hit from harper or real mudo 
So all the talk about how Harper's going to change the Phillies' offense and how about how Rio Mudo is one of the best-hitting catchers in the league, which he is, but yet none of them recorded a hit in their debut, yet the Phillies still put up 10 runs on the board. That's kind of scary and kind of concerns me going forward, even though I don't think the Phillies – I think the Phillies are still an overrated team. I don't trust their pitching staff outside of Aaron Nola. But, uh, you know, for them to put up 10 runs on the board without a hit from Harper or Rio Muto, um, that to me stands out as pretty, pretty impressive. And with now, Nick, why don't we go into our beard back? What do you got for us today in sports history? So we'll go back to two different times. And we'll start at 1972. Will Chamberlain plays his last pro basketball game. And then in 1990, Michael Jordan scores 69 points. Fourth time he scores 60 points in a game. So those were our two for Beard Bat. There's a lot of different ones to choose, especially as we're getting through the March Madness tournaments. As even today, right now, uh, already two of my Final Four teams have been knocked off. My bracket was actually pretty good going into the Sweet 16. Not a perfect bracket, like the one remaining, but... Uh, FSU losing to Gonzaga, which they should not have lost. Uh, they lost by 14. And Purdue coming back, had the lead in the first half. Tennessee came back. Purdue, Carl Edwards gets the foul with one second left, hits the two foul shots, and Purdue then wins in overtime to advance to the Elite Eight. But FSU, I expected more from you guys. I thought you really were going to go to the Final Four. Only shooting three of twenty that killed me. Uh, from the yeah. three, yeah, my bracket did not hold up very well either. I'm the same boat as you. A lot of my picks went through. Uh, I felt like I was doing so well, and now Tennessee just lost. I mean, I had them as winning the whole thing, Nick. I feel really broken right now. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't really feel like I picked a good thing there. Um, Still, you Tennessee- should get credit for the Oregon pitch. Sure, I, I really should, and I think both of us got credit for having that 12 and 13 seed in there, and UC yep. Irvine as well too. So. We look like geniuses for that. Um, also, I know this didn't happen on this day, but today is March 28th, and if you do it by numerical order, it's 328, which is a dreaded, dreaded score for the Atlanta Falcon fans. Remember when Patriots came back from that 28-3 to deficit? Saw that somewhere today, thought it was pretty funny, but I know it's not exactly a beard back, but since it is the date, might as well remind Fal- uh, Falcon fans about that, even though I know they don't probably want to. Um, but so be it. And now it's time for our Dude and Dunce of the Week. So, Nick, who do you have for our Dude of the Week? So, it's opening day, so we have to go with the baseball player, of course. Uh, so, a few different choices. Uh, but in the end result, we're going to go with Javier Baez. Goes 2 for 5 in the ball game with 2 home runs, 4 RBIs in the Cubs. 12-4 to 4 win over the Texas Rangers and yeah, the Red Sox are going to be the reason I lose my parlay. And speaking of which, like I said, I kept my Dunce of the Week baseball theme as well, too. The game's not over yet. The Red Sox are losing 10-4, to but Chris Sale, my man, I know you had a very limited spring training due to injuries and stuff, but you cannot show up on opening day and it'll only last three innings and give up three home runs to the Mariners, two of them to Tim Beckham. Who? Tim Beckham, I thought it was Tim Anderson from the White Sox, honestly. Beckham, a former first-round pick who was a bust with the Tampa Bay Rays and was a bust with the Baltimore Orioles and every other team that he's been on, Tim Beckham's going to take you deep twice? 
Oh man, the Seattle's on pace to be 162 and 0 this season if they win today and hold on. They're going to be 3 and 0 to start the season. Who would have thought? And honestly, Nick, I'm pretty nervous that by giving them Kalenic and Justin Dunn, who might help them later on this season, I think we made Seattle too uh, you know, too strong here, Nick. But my dunce of the week is going to go to Chris Sale. Can't show up like that on opening day. At this point, Tim Beckham is going to average 162 home runs. I mean, a few guys are going to average, you know, what, the 300-plus home runs. But Beckham, three games, three home runs so far. He leads the league in home runs. You never thought you'd say that, would you? Uh, usually you say it for the first game. Or, or he had the first home run of the season. No, he didn't have the first home run of the season, but he had one of the first home runs. Nope, first home run of the season went to my boy, Robbie Cano. No, no, Steven Piscotti. Oh, that's right, because you're counting the Japan one. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, okay, first, fine. First U.S. Uh, yes. home state home run went to Robinson Cano. And with that, that brings us to our final thoughts of the podcast. I'll go first here, Nick. My final thought of the podcast is that it feels good to be in first place. Yes, the Mets are 1-0 and technically tied for first place in the NL East. We may not get to enjoy this ever again. You never know. So I will enjoy it while it lasts. First place feels really good. It's Mets have the all-time winning percentage on opening day. Uh, easy uh, reason about that. Uh, so... My final thoughts is Auburn plays North uh, Carolina tomorrow. Uh, the coach of Auburn saying the lock bet of the week is to take the over of the game, which is currently, I think, at 164. And so sure enough, I'm, I'm taking the over when the coach says take the over. But I just think that's just so insane that you're talking about a sweet 16 and the coach of one of the teams is talking. I, I could never imagine Bill Belichick saying, oh, yeah, we're playing the Chiefs in the uh, AFC Conference Championship. What's the uh, the over? 50-something points? Yeah, you should take the over. I, so for me, I think it's just remarkable hearing a coach say something like that. Uh, so... Uh, on the better side, I, I'm always going to smile when I hear something like that. And sure enough, I'm going to jump into that bed. Because if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But who am I to deny the coach? And with that being said, thank you guys so much for tuning into this podcast. Just a reminder to catch every other podcast, too, on the SND Podcast channel. Don't be afraid to click through those shows and enjoy some of the other great content available. So once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And I'm Nick Sarasso. And thank you for listening to Sarasso and the Beard, episode 46.